Mostly Awesome, a podcast about the wins and fails of innovators. Brought to you by CDTM in Munich. Hello, welcome back to another episode at Mostly Awesome in this new year 2021. Our guest today is Katharina Meyer. Who is Katharina? She's founder and CEO of Kuchentrat, a social food startup alleviating the feeling of social isolation and poverty of the elderly by providing grandmas and grandpas with a place in Munich to get together, bake and deliver their best cakes. The grandmas bake their cakes based on family recipes that have been passed on for decades and the grandpas then deliver the cakes to customers and cafes nearby. Kuchentratsch now sells their cakes via DHL Germany-wide to companies and private individuals and even launched their new baking mixes this year. In 2018, Katharina's team made a successful deal in the German version of the Shark Tank series with Dagmar Wuerl and Carsten Maschmeyer and recently won the Breakthrough Award across all categories. Yeah, and today we want to look behind the curtains of the social startup Kuchentratsch from Munich. Translated, the company name Kuchentratsch means cake tittle tattle. And in our tittle tattle with Katharina, we learn about why she started Kuchentratsch, how she manages three different generations of employees under one roof, how she dealt with the COVID-19 crisis by accelerating her development of baking mixes, where she sees Kuchentratsch in the future and what life lessons she took away from her elderly bakers. So let's jump straight into the conversation we had with Katerina. And yeah, we are Izzy from Class of Spring 20 and Melly from Class of Fall 19, both active students of CDTM, the add-on study program in technology management headquartered in Munich. A very warm welcome to you, Katerina, here at Mostly Awesome. Back in 2015, you founded a cake business called Kuchentratsch. So now, let's be honest, are you a good baker yourself or solely a good taster? Uh, I'm more the good taster. <laughs> <laughs> and did your own baking skills improve over the last five years? I'm more eating the cake than baking the cake. And it's really easy because I have the grannies in the bakery. And so I can just go in and eat that. With the baking mixes, I'm much more into baking now because super fast. It tastes really good. And I think my skills on that kind of feel is much better. We will also touch upon your newly launched baking mixes later. Now, next to being a good taster, you also seem to be a good ideator. How did you come up with the idea of Kuchentratsch initially back in 2000? 2014. The idea of Kuchentratsch came up in my mind during my uh, university time. I did my bachelor more on economics with a deep insight into nonprofit and healthcare management. And during my studies, I was more into going to the development work, working for the UN, working for big foundations, organizations. And writing my bachelor thesis about microcredits in India and Pakistan. During this time, I got the feeling that sometimes the development work doesn't really re-question themselves so often. So is the impact really working? I got a bit annoyed to all the fundraising. And I thought maybe there's some model that is sustainable by itself. It's also something that can benefit the society just outside of my door instead of the other side of the world. 
Mm-hmm. As you said, during your time studying at university, you gathered insights into the developmental work within the UN and several other organizations. What, in your mind, hampers the impact these organizations can have? Regarding the foundation, I found out that they are mostly organized in Western cultures, trying to put the Western culture on a completely different culture. And that leads to the problem that the impact is not that high because there's a culture clash. And also that projects are often short-term thought. So it's going to start to have a new project and then it gets funding for two, three years. And then organizations want to have something new. And even if it's good running, you can't really get it further. And now, I mean, with Kokentrat, you certainly have a great social impact. In fact, you just won the Breakthrough Award in the category Food, and on top, you ranked first across categories. So, congratulations. Thank you. How do you feel about this milestone, especially after these challenging months due to COVID-19? Yeah, COVID hit us really hard due to the fact that we employ grannies and we weren't able to open the bakery for many, many months. And winning the award was for us and also for me like little motivation to go on and try to give your best. And what would you say is the biggest learning of the pandemic that you made throughout the last months? First big learning was because as I am founder and leading more than 70 people in my startup, I am used to control a lot of things. When COVID came, it was like realizing that it's important to focus on the things I can control and not focus on the thing I can't control. Another learning for me was also because we were in a finance round, it was really hard for me not being able to put the money into the future plans. Instead, we had to put the money into covering the fixed costs. And that's really depressing <laughs> because you think you already made it to have a business model that can pay all the fixed costs. And that was like a mind thing. Yeah. And well, in July 2020, you introduced a baking mix to the market. Have you planned this launch already before COVID-19 or has it been your answer to counteract yeah, the negative impact of the pandemic on your business? Last year was the time in summer when we were thinking, okay, it's time for a new product. And we checked our idea box, I will call it. There are different ideas yet. Yeah, let's check them out. And uh, we started to build little prototypes for different ones and mm -hmm. came up in autumn last year that the baking mixes could be something that's really interesting. This we kept on and thought, okay, maybe 2020, we will focus a bit on that. And COVID came We put every energy on that topic and we finished the product four months earlier than we planned. Oh, wow. Because we had time, of course, but also the pressure is really high because we're missing nearly 70% of our revenues. And it's super important for us to have another product we can still sell because COVID isn't over and it will take more time until we can go back to our initial business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Congratulations on the fast launch and fast repositioning of your business. Out of curiosity, how are baking mixes produced? Because I guess producing them in the ready for the shelves, ready to cook format, alters the product composition quite a lot, right? Uh, it's kind of the same somehow. So we took a great look into make it easy. You just have to add three or four ingredients to the baking mix. 
We also took a great mm-hmm. look on what we put into the baking mix and it's really just wheat, sugar. So the list of uh, ingredients is really short on the baking mix. Uh, mm-hmm. We tried to mm-hmm. put the story on the, on the packaging. So how did you then decide which of your cakes make it into the baking mix? It's a really easy process because when we do the normal cakes, it's quite often that we say, oh, we need seasonal cakes. Who is in? And then they came up with ideas. So we copycat that one to the baking mixes and just ask into the group, is somebody interested? Does somebody has a recipe who could fit what we need? And then several grannies came up and we tried to put the recipes into baking mix. And then we came up with five recipes and we have some other recipes in the backhand. Ah, okay. And how did the other grannies feel when their recipe got dismissed for the baking mix? I can imagine that it is very hard if there is this go-to recipe in the family which passes from one generation to the next but then it is not chosen for the baking mix. Yeah, that happens also with the uh, seasonal recipes, but there are so many occasions that they can come back and normally there's a reason. The reason is that it's not so easy to handle for the gastronomy. It takes too much time to bake. So there's, it's not about like, we like your recipe or not. It's more about hard facts. Mm-hmm. And what is the biggest difference, hurdle or learning for you in working with the seniors that make up the majority of your 70 employees? So working with older people is definitely different than working with younger people. And you have pro and cons on both sides of the generations. The pro sides working with grannies is definitely that they have a lot of life experience and they are used to get kind of rejected On the negative side, it's definitely that the grannies not understand what we're doing. Why do we sell mm-hmm. cakes online, for example? It's something that's not up in their mind because they didn't grow up like that. So that's mm-hmm. really important to communicate good and give them the opportunity to understand what we do. Because sure, for them, it's not so easy that we sell cakes online and send them Germany-wide via DHL. Mm-hmm. On this note, how is your recruiting process of grannies and grandpas organized? Uh, we have a really structured and organized recruiting process and also onboarding process where we try to hire the right employees on the office team, but also in the grannies team. And normally how it works for the grannies is that they come up with a contact And then we do an appointment, um, they're talking to my uh, baking master and uh, she's explaining everything, showing them around. And afterwards, if they are fine and think they want to go further and it fits their expectations, they are coming for baking day, bringing one recipe, baking with the other grannies, try to find out how the culture is, how the communication is, how the process is. Uh, And Mm -hmm. after that, there's a deeper talk, what to expect, Mm -hmm. how it works, etc. And afterwards, there's a decision on both sides, if that's something. They see themselves or we see Mm -hmm. them in there. Sometimes we see that their baking skills are not that good as we need it. But we see a big commitment and we all have grannies not baking, but also packing the cake boxes. That's something where we ask them if they want to do that kind of things. And they're really happy because they get that they're not that good at baking, but they want to be part of, they want to do something, they want to earn money. 
Mm -hmm. And how do you communicate with your elderly bakers? I can imagine the majority is most likely non-digital. So yeah, how do you inform them about their next shift, for example? So we have a mix of analog and digital. We are happy to have a lot of grannies, like 80-90% who have an email account, around about 60-70% to 70% mm -hmm. having WhatsApp, and it's like 100% that have a cell phone. And that makes it a bit easier for us to communicate, mm -hmm. even during the COVID time. So we send out once per week an email. It's quite funny how they write back, because sometimes like, ah, where is it? Ah, it's down there. So <laughs> it's like somehow funny, but they try to keep up with the digital things. During the COVID time, we called mm -hmm. every granny once per week for 15 to 30 minutes. And we also have one to two times a year normally that we meet all together and we uh, let them know what happened the last months, what we're planning to do. They can raise their questions and that's really analog and with a lot of coffee and cake and a bit gossiping. So. Mm -hmm. And what have you learned about corporate culture since three generations work under one roof at Kuchentratsch? I read that your oldest employee is 88 and the youngest 21. Yeah. So the age difference is quite large compared to other companies. How does it influence your corporate culture? So I think it's really important to set up core values for a company. I think it's essential for different parts in the company. First of all, it's super important to hire the right people. Because the culture fit is much more important than the experience. For the recruiting process, we use the core values a lot to select the right people. During work we do and projects we do, we also have the core values. Mm -hmm. And it makes it easy for my employees to decide by themselves. They don't need me all the time because they can look up to the core values and say, ah, okay, that's how Katarina will mm -hmm. decide. But I think it's super important to come up with the core values in a team. So mm -hmm. we sat together and... The first thing we did was, please write down what you what you think are core values or the culture in this company. And then uh, everybody took their post-its into the middle. And then we saw like our matches six times that, ten times that. So we figured out which one seemingly are the most important. It's also that values are changing. The values in Germany for the society 50 years ago were definitely different than they are now. So it's important to keep up with changes. And it's okay if a core value loses value over the time and another one arises up. Check back on your core values and don't stay too fixed on them. It's okay if one is going to change over the three years. Speaking of simplified decision making, how much of your decisions do you delegate and why? So I'm a person who loves to give a lot of things to my employees. And that's something also for the recruiting process, what is really important, because we need people who like to take over responsibility. I try to delegate as much out of the operational work as I can. It's not everything, but um, I think it's super important to enable your team and coach your team members to get better into different tasks, into different activities. And that, in my point of view, only works if you really give them work to do. And you mentioned earlier that, um, of course, your elderly bakers have a lot of life experience. 
How did the life lessons of your employees influence your own view on a life and your business? Often how they behave, like they have seen so many things in their life, so they stay most of the time more calm and don't get so much excited or um, negatively affected to things that happen because they know they can conquer a lot. That sometimes helps me to like just calm down and everything will be okay. Mm -hmm. And what did you learn about growing older? It's super fun to get older because it's like <laughs> you have different phases of your life. And if you still will be dirty, I, as I'm an entrepreneur, I like changes. I like new things. And I think every phase of aging has its own options. I'm more curious to find out what the next options are. Mm -hmm. And you have a four-day week at Kuchenrad. Can you observe some positive effects on the productivity by having only four days of work per week? Mm, so we have different new work models in our Kuchentrat startup implemented. And so I try to come up with a more flexible and different approach. And the idea of the four work day week is something I'm really happy I implemented from the beginning on because one big aspect is that I think it's important to have three days off to really enjoy and to calm down. And the second thing is sometimes people want to mm -hmm. gain different experience. And with the four-day week, they have the opportunity to use the fifth day for their own projects, to work somewhere else, to, to do a hobby, etc. And I think that's really nice to give us an opportunity Instead of, oh, you have to quit your job to do something different. So it's more like to combine things. And regarding the efficiency <laughs> thing, I think that I'm a person who leads really efficient and my standards are really high. So um, in this startup scene, I think it's always too much to work. You have to say, no, it's okay. Now I go home after my eight hours. It's something I don't have any measurements or something, but I try to keep my team busy, of course. <laughs> And how's your four-day week structured? So on which day of the week do you take the day off? Is this fixed or flexible? Now, for me, it's four days in the bakery and one home office day. <laughs> And then, of course, I also work during weekends um, if I have to. It's more that it, it's fixed for the employees, but for myself, it's more flexible, I would say. You mentioned that you have an efficient leadership style. How do you lead efficiently? So there are different approaches and it would take too much time to talk about everything. But one example I can explain is that it's super important besides having the right culture people on board to really have clear what are my expectations. Mm -hmm. So we work with scorecards. It's like really written down the tasks they have to do. And it's written down with the smart way, meaning it's short, it's measurable. So it's like there are different KPIs they have mm -hmm. to fulfill. And that makes it clear for me what this person is doing. And it mm -hmm. makes super clear for the person who has to do the job what they have to do. And in that kind of opportunity, it gives me space to put in efficiency because there's nothing that is sidelined or goes in another direction. It's really clear what the people have to do. And that, I think, is a really good tool. And talking about KPIs, you mentioned at the beginning that you led a financing round during the COVID-19 madness. For what purpose did you raise the money? 
it's more that we build up a business model that is break even and we can stop by that. But my idea is to get further and to find opportunities how we can grow. And one example is the baking mix. And we're handling to to get these things started because we can't pay them out of the revenue stream we do. Okay, so the financing was for the expansion of the product line within Germany. Do you have plans to make Kuchentratsch a franchise model in the future? Or whether you see Kuchentratsch heading? Um, so we are thinking more about giving Kuchentratsch the opportunity to open flagship mm -hmm. stores where you can get in and see the granny's baking, but you can also have a coffee and tea. Uh, you can buy different Kuchentratsch um, products, but you can also do workshops, etc. More like really get to know Kuchentratsch and not just a store somewhere. That's what we have in mind. And maybe can get up with that idea in some time. Mm -hmm. And how does the process look like to get into a supermarket shelf? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we thought with the finance round, we have a bit more resources mm -hmm. to do more marketing. But as Corona and COVID arise, we had to put that money into the fixed cost. So we didn't really have money for marketing. And I think it makes it much harder, but not impossible. And what we learned, because that business is super new for us and we are just in it for three months now. What I learned is that it's super important to have two to five products and not just going with one product to the supermarkets because they want to see more range also where they can pick from. And I learned that mm -hmm. it's important to have the packaging right, to have the logistics mm -hmm. right, that they can work with you. Mm -hmm. But you probably did not have any say at which shelf and hide your baking mixes are placed in the supermarket, right? Mm -hmm. It's first is important that they order stuff from you. <laughs> and then you have to get on and try to find out how the people buy your stuff in the supermarket, that the supermarket is going to reorder it. So that's a lot of marketing that's in behind, but you can't really say, ah, oh, put me there because then you have to buy the shelf and that's too expensive. Mm -hmm. You stressed several yeah. times during our conversation that mm -hmm. you make sure to tell the story behind your product, be it in the crowdfunding campaign with Start Next, when launching the baking mix or pitching your product. So during the last five years, what did you learn about storytelling and branding and what is your advice to founders? So for us, as we can tell a story, it's super important that we tell the story. And it's much easier if you have a product that can tell a story instead you have to make something up. We love to tell the stories of the grannies. It's really cool for them and also giving them the opportunity to have their baking mix in the supermarket. So it's like crazy for them. It's like, wow, <laughs> 70, 80 years old and then you... Make your own baking mix that people can buy Germany-wide in supermarkets. And you have been part of the German version of Shark Tank called Die Höhle der Löwen. Mm -hmm. You were able to convince two sharks, Dagmar Wörl and Carsten Maschmeyer, yeah. to invest both at 5%. How is the collaboration currently going with them? It's already two years ago, I think. Yeah, it's two, two and a half years ago. And it was like our first finance round we did with Kuchentratsch before we just grew organically. And it was a big step 
towards that uh, decision. I'm super happy that I did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I learned a lot and I also learned a lot from the sharks. And I can say that going to the German version of Shark Tank was definitely a life experience I won't miss. Mm-hmm. And what are the crucial aspects to consider in choosing your business angels? I think it's super important to think about what you want to do with the startup in the future and which kind of people fit to that. If you then first go for a business angel, really talk to the people and try to find out if they personally fit to your startup that you're building. Try to find the money that helps you and doesn't hinder you on your way building your startup. Mm-hmm. And what's your recommendation on maintaining a good relationship with your business angels? Yeah, being honest, communicate, mm-hmm. and uh, try to to get them involved, they know, that they know what you do. I think it's important to have relationships mm-hmm. with the people you work with. It's super important to really see the people and not just the people as a number or money giver, etc., And how do you communicate with your business angels? Do you have one-on-ones every quarter or is the communication just on demand? How do you handle it? When you do the term sheets, you really talk about also how you report. So uh, often they have their own approaches, how to report, and you just fill out their reports and report uh, in that kind of way. It's easy for them to handle because you're not the only startup they're working with. Mm -hmm. Okay. One last question before we finish off with the toolbox. You said you are now a single founder and came up with the idea yourself, but then had a co-founder for several years. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So I'm curious, what's your take on or advice for single founders? I think for me personally, it was essential that I had a co-founder. It was a friend of mine during university. We also did some business in university together. So we knew us quite well. And this in the beginning where it's super, super hard, it will never get easy. But um, from the super, super hard to the hard, it's also quite a way. And I was super happy that she was for the first two years with me because I'm not sure if I would have done it by myself. Even if you're not coming from a business background family, So it's important to have someone to talk to. And I will definitely give the advice to find someone, maybe not a family, friends, friends, because that's sometimes hard to switch from the social part to the business part, but finding people who already work with you, you share some business, yeah, business culture together, then I think it's a good match. Okay, so wrapping it up, we always ask our guests about their sources of inspiration. So are you ready to reveal your toolbox, Katerina? Yeah, sure. Perfect. Then let's jump straight into it. First question, what is your favorite book? Oh, there are so many. That's a really tough question. <laughs> a book I'm currently reading and for people who want to start a startup, the book is called The Founder's Dilemmas. So it's a really quantitative book because it's made out of a lot of research, so it makes it a bit hard to read. But I think it's good to read for if you want to start a startup and you're not sure if you should do it, with whom you do it, how you decide to put equity, how you decide to put people on board. For people who are more rational thinking than emotional thinking, I think that's a really good book. Mm -hmm. And which app have you recently discovered Mm -hmm. that everyone should download? 
it's it's not so easy because I try to not have the phone all the time on my side. Uh, it's more that I use the phone business-wise and I have all the Gmail applications on it. But uh, privately, I don't really have, like, sorry, I can't give a good advice. Okay, yeah, don't worry. Next question. Which newsletter do you love to read until the end? Mm, I'm always reading the Send newsletter, the social entrepreneurship newsletter. They are giving cool insights about the social entrepreneurship mm -hmm. scene. So that's something... I really like to read. Okay, and how is it called again? Yeah, it's called Send, S-E-N-D. Okay, and which person do you love to follow on social media? Mm, I'm definitely a big fan of the founders of Einhorn condoms, so Waldemar and Philip. So I, I like the content and they always try to do social uh, change in society. Okay, now last one. What is your favorite podcast or podcast episode? I really like the podcast of the two girls of Edition F, but I stopped doing their podcast, so it's not my fault that I didn't listen to it. <laughs> There, I didn't miss any episode. Great. Thanks, Katharina, for sharing your insights on how to run one of the most well-known social startups in Germany with us. Take care and stay healthy. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for your questions. Hey guys, just a few more informations before you take off. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast channel to not miss out on future episodes and follow the CDTM LinkedIn page. Thank you so much for listening. Stay healthy and we hope to have you back again on Wednesday in two weeks.